You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Well, I would like to welcome all of our listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist. We are continuing perhaps a trend in recent weeks where we've been talking about German foreign and security policy. You may recall a couple of episodes ago, we had the deputy chairman of the FDP, Johannes Vogel, as our guest, where we talked about Russia and China. Today, we are delighted to have here with us in person Roderich Kiesewetter. Uh, Roderich, welcome. Hello to you all. Thank you. Uh, Roderich is the uh, the ranking member of the CDU-CSU in the Foreign Relations Committee of the German Bundestag. He has been a member of the German Bundestag since 2009, directly elected uh, in the state of Baden-Württemberg, and also had a, a previous career. Uh, what was your previous career before becoming a politician? Well, I was officer in our armed forces. I was a general staff officer commanding an MLRS battalion, and I left as the XO to the chief of staff of Shake, uh, Shape, uh, in, uh, at Shape in Belgium as a colonel. So I left the armed forces 2009. Okay. Not so great as today. Yeah. Well, MLRS is certainly uh, something that uh, many people have become familiar with since the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, and I think we'll probably get to talk a little bit about that. Um, and you know, we, we've we've been talking a lot about the reorientation of Germany's foreign and security policy, you know, and and the word that sums it all up, uh, perhaps, is Zeitenwende, um, which is uh, gaining some uh, currency uh, among non-German speakers. But I wanted to start, perhaps, Roderich, with you know, what is the real change? What is it that, has, that, that Germany has to, to leave in the past when we talk about a sea change in Germany's uh, foreign and security policy? Mm-hmm. Excellent question, Jeff. First of all, congratulations to Zeitgeist, because Zeitenwende <laughs> needs spirit. <laughs> and the spirit must not be the spirit of the specific period. It must be overarching, and we have to look beyond the war in Ukraine and beyond the conflict China is probably bringing to Taiwan. Um, the Zeitenwende started in 2014, a month before Uh, the aggression of Russia against Crimea and eastern Ukraine, the first start of the war, when at the Munich Security Conference our federal president said that Germany must act earlier, more substantial and quicker, faster. And this idea to ignite the Zeitenwende didn't work. So it lasted another eight years, whereas other countries, our neighbors, already have agreed that they have to be much more resilient and need to invest much more in defense, but also in uh, public critical infrastructure. So we have had to give up three narratives of Germany. The three narratives were founded after unification in 1990, but go also back in the early 70s in the detention policy. The first narrative is we are surrounded by partners and friends, and therefore we could take care of ourselves, specifically we could take care for our own social security, not defining other areas of security like uh, competitiveness, like domestic or foreign security. And 
we now are aware that our partners and friends are not surrounded by reliable partners. And therefore, we have to change this narrative. But to afford to finance this social cohesion in Germany, we spend more than 50% of the average budget every year in uh, social welfare. We, as 1% of the world's population, spend on every layer, every level in Germany, uh, about 8% of the world's uh, investment in social welfare. That's an amazing figure. That's an always amazing figure, yes, but we need to be aware of that. So how could we afford this? We could afford this by the second narrative, cheap security by the United States, cheap uh, supply chains by China, and cheap energy from Russia, especially since 2011, where our state uh, decided to give up nuclear energy. So, so we became very dependent. But to explain this dependency, we created a third narrative. And this third narrative is very seductive. It is could be formulated as change by trade, change by connectivity, change by rapprochement. But not Russia changed or China to a more or less tolerable democracy, but we changed into dependent into a dependent country, dependent from Russia's energy and from China's uh, profits or the profits we made in China. And this was wrong and ill-advised, but we have not nothing new. So the aim of the Zeitenwende must also be to create a new, sober, reliable narrative which makes us to a partner in Europe, inside the North Atlantic organization and in the free Western world and to avoid that we are going to be isolated. So making Germany a partner... Um you were just in Ukraine uh, recently. Um, how does that partnership look when you think about Germany and Ukraine? Mm -hmm. We are supporting Ukraine on the civilian side tremendously with social support, with uh, generators for electricity, and also with uh, clothes for winter's time and medical care. In the military field, we support with anti-air defense, also with artillery, uh, but not what we have most in comparison to other European countries, uh, infantry, fighting, infantry fighting vehicles and tanks. And this is needed to bring the Ukrainian soldiers to the front line, secure and safe, and they have a lot of losses by transporting them on lorries, on trucks, uh, or by food, and therefore we need to reconsider our position, not only to send in a small number uh, howitzers, 18, in a small number GMLRS, 3, uh, or 30 anti-aircraft cannons like Jeppard, um, but we also could deliver Martin tanks, 100 pieces, or also several hundred leopard tanks. But this must be dovetailed with the endeavor of our neighbors, but we could do more. And Ukraine is hugely grateful for our effort, but they know we could do more, but we are so reluctant. Um, Estonia and Lithuania are delivering double as much as we do. The United States on the military side deliver 20 times as much as we do. So we should do more also to gain credibility, but also to help Ukraine to win this war, but also to help the, the squads inside the tanks 
the teams to survive because the old Soviet models are not in the condition to protect the teams inside. They are made uh, to fight but not to take care of uh, the teams inside and therefore we are have also a responsibility to the families of the Ukrainian soldiers and to the wi widows uh, who have already lost their husbands and have nothing left because if a Russian or a former Soviet tank is exploding nothing will remain neither the ring of marriage nor the watch nor any ge genetic uh, um, forensic proof that the husband was inside the Ukrainian tank. Mm -hmm. So it's also an ethic question. Yeah. And now, you know, if if we take if we widen uh, the aperture um, still further from German support to Ukraine um, in response to the Russian invasion, and if we think about clearly a more challenging. Um, diplomatic and security situation um, in Europe. What is what is your view? Perhaps it's a CDU CSU view on on the role of Germany in Europe and in its partnerships. How should they be reimagined as part of this um, sea change in uh, in foreign policy thinking? Mm -hmm. Excellent question, Jeff. I believe that's not only a CDU CSU focus. I believe that also the liberals, the Greens and the Social Democrats share this view more and more. What do I mean? I believe that after this war we will have a split inside Europe. We have those countries who have hmm, smelt the war, the Nordic countries, the Baltic states, the Middle Central Eastern European countries, except for Hungary, which is aligned with Russia. But Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Romania, they all are aligned to support Ukraine. And I believe that they expect more from the conservative triangle, Berlin, Paris and Rome, who are reluctant in the support. And I believe that we will receive a Europe of two different velocities. Germany was always in favor to lead the convoy and to 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 also to determine the velocity. But I believe that these countries will determine the velocity and they would like to speed up for more transparency for the European population, for more uh, interoperability amongst uh, the, the resilient forces in police forces, uh, military forces, and more interoperability. So standardization, interoperability, and also more transparency what the European Union and NATO are doing, this is the key to convince our public sector, or especially, sorry, uh, to, to convince our population to align with these ideas and not to give up the European spirit of freedom, of welfare, and of democracy. Mm -hmm. so, so what you're talking about then is, in a way, sort of a new, a new coalition, um, within Europe, uh, not to say that uh, that Germany forgets about its relationship with uh, with France and the you know uh, mythologized Franco-German uh, engine of Europe, um, but that uh, there needs to be more uh, than just the traditional uh, relationships. Are those principally 
in your view, in the security uh, field? Um, or is there a broader dimension uh, to this yeah. when you think about Central and Eastern Europe, the mm -hmm. Baltic countries, the Nordic yeah. countries? That's a really a broader uh, dimension. And by the way, the French-German engine is not fueled anymore regarding armaments industry, regarding future combat aircraft, regarding main ground combat system, regarding space policy, and also regarding migration policy, Balkan policy, uh, we are much closer to some Italian approaches or to some Poland, Polish approaches than to the French approach. So that's a pity we have to rework on that. Um, but the broader approach is we need a better connectivity amongst the societies. We need uh, connected pipelines regarding gas, mm -hmm. uh, electric uh, grid grids, but also the public infrastructure like trains, um, like um, the, the data lines, and uh, to accept the, the differences of the mutual education systems to strive for a more unified European approach to fight uh, demography, to fight uh, the lack of experienced and skilled workers and engineers. So there is a a, a huge scope of uh, challenges and I believe the European competitiveness will only work in two directions transatlantic to avoid uh, additional costs regarding security and cross Europe to avoid uh, the costs of lack of standardization so we need more Europe in the question of cooperation and less Europe in the regulation of the daily life mm -hmm. So when, when you talk um, about these components of, of a new um, uh, coalition, uh, a future-oriented uh, coalition uh, in Europe, uh, do you think that the, the German government's proposals, on the one hand, $100 billion in off-budget um, supplementary funding for defense procurement, but also something like 200 billion euros uh, in, uh, in spending to deal with the challenges, uh, especially of the energy situation um, in, uh, in Germany. Is that conceived too narrowly? Should that be a broader European effort? Is, is there a European dimension of, the, of this crisis response that is missing, in your view? I have a different view on that, different than, than other responsible persons in, in our political culture. The 100 billion euro is a first step. We have a lack of about 250 to 300 billion euros to refurbish our armed forces, including the infrastructure, ammunition stocks, and improvements, for example, the Navy, which has uh, for seabed warfare and equipment of the 80s, mm -hmm. which will not be able for modern seabed warfare we were, not be we were not able to dive to the destroyed Nord Stream tubes uh, because we hadn't the equipment to go 70 meters. And our submarines have not the equipment to look what was on 70 meters. So there's a huge uh, amount of, of money needed to, to refurbish that. So more than this 100. But it's a good first step. But what you mentioned with the 200 billion, and all in all, it's 300 billion euros, 295 
the so-called double wumps mm. uh, comic language. Hard, hard to translate. <laughs> <laughs> A kind of bazooka language, um, which is probably convincing the people, but is not very fit for a public dialogue with our partners. Um, this is ill-communicated because some southern European countries suffer not only from inflation but also from debts. And if we want to keep all the European countries together, we must um, really invest more in a common approach to cope with the crises. So Germany has the financial power to help itself but it will create some imponderabilities with France, especially with Italy. And we have now a fascist government, a fascist-led uh, government, uh, which is transatlantic, but we need to wait what will come in Italy. And therefore, we have to be very careful not to lose the Italian hearts and minds in the European uh, cohesion. And Italy is much closer to our foreign policy than France. So we have to be here very careful. So the 200 billion are ill-communicated to the European neighbors. But what we need is a common EU endeavor also to show to the Americans that we are able for a fair bur burden sharing. There is an interest gap. In the United States, you have about 4 to 5% interest. And in the European Union, two, two and a half percent. So we will lose a lot of investors. So the European Union must reform itself, less bureaucracy, faster decisions, and especially also uh, to attract money of, of uh, considerable, sober, and, and uh, reliable investors. So there, there is really a competition, a transatlantic competition uh, about investment. But I believe that it is necessary that we cooperate in this context. So we also should reduce uh, barriers between uh, Washington and, and Brussels as regards uh, standard, uh, standardization of economic uh, tariffs and something like that. So to reduce the common costs of production mm -hmm. and to, to increase our mutual competitiveness towards Asia and Africa. Mm -hmm. That brings me to perhaps um, you know, the, the topic that uh, should bring all of these things together, and that is the creation of a German national security strategy. This government has committed to producing one. It should be ready sometime by the end of the year or at the latest in the first quarter of 2023, as far as I understand it. And this is the first time that Germany will have produced uh, such an overarching national security strategy document. What do you expect uh, or what do you want to see uh, in that uh, strategy? What do you think is necessary to bring together the political security, economic and trade uh, aspects of national security and European security now? Yeah, excellent question. Um, this national security strategy is overdue. We as the CDU, CSU caucus tried it since 2013 every year, but the chancery didn't want because they didn't want to be measured by the strategy and the real outcome. Mm -hmm. So we had the white book process, the military white paper, and this came to a stop. So uh, what we need is first of all a commitment of all players that this strategy 
lasts at, le- lasts at maximum five years and is to be revised either within this period or very early in the next period. Mm-hmm. So, so it becomes something that every government yeah. does. It must be debated in the parliament. The military white paper never was. And it must also be very integrative. And we will not speak about comprehensive security. The new term is integrative security, which means also climate security, social security, domestic and foreign security, a broader approach, including development and so on. Mm-hmm. And out of this national security, um, partial strategies will, will follow, like China, like cyber, like space, like industry, and so on. So this is very delineated. And to give you a new piece of information, it will be offered to the public at the Munich Security Conference. And a little bit prior to that, uh, it will be uh, decided in the cabinet. So uh, the draft will be ready by the end of this year, and then will be discussed inside also the parliament uh, in the draft status, but uh, it will be presented at the Munich Security Conference, which is really uh, excellent. And um, there's one issue we could debate. It's not the chancellery who is having the responsibility in this work in progress. It's the foreign ministry. It's good because they are very modern. They are very innovative. But it's also in competition with other ministries. And therefore, probably, we need a kind of guiding and shaping hand uh, from the chancellery. And uh, I hope that uh, this gets the commitment of all. And I believe if this is the case, uh, Germany will do a tremendous step forward. Mm-hmm. You mentioned China. Um, and if, which of course is the, the other big uh, challenge that, uh, that Germany uh, has to address. And if I think about the way that the government has described its approach to the security situation for NATO and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It is, on the one hand, for NATO, that NATO will defend every square meter of NATO territory, um, and that's the commitment of new resources and so forth. And with regard to Ukraine, uh, that Germany, as well as the G7 countries, will support Ukraine as long as it takes. Um, And I think those are quite uh, compact messages Mm -hmm. that are easy to repeat and communicate. Indeed. If you think about China, what should the message that comes out of a new German strategy be? Um, we, we hear often about the so-called you know, three aspects of the relationship with China, that it's a partner in certain areas, it's a competitor in others, and it's a strategic rival. This, mm-hmm. this really dominates European as well as American mm-hmm. um, uh, public discussions. But uh, is there an essence uh, to, the, to, to this when you look at this, Roderick? Jeff, we cannot be very elective. We cannot explain why on the one side they are partners and competitors and strategic revivals. I believe we must understand that they are strategic revivals, uh, revivals, that's good, that they are strategic rivals. However, there might be areas for cooperation against climate change, for example, for disarmament or arms control, verification and something like that, trust-building measures. But foremost, they try to connect 
their network all over the world to create dependency and inactivity in a status of crisis. And we are well aware that within the next five to ten years, some say earlier, Taiwan might be more or less integrated by violence to the People's Republic of China. And the question is, do we accept this? Or do we try to support Taiwan's independence? I choose Independ the one. Independence, you mean uh, not political independence in the sense of statehood. Uh, you mean its ability to govern itself I believe, and, and make its own choices. I believe it was a mistake, the one China policy, because this invites China to include Taiwan because we all are supporting the one China policy. Mm -hmm. Why should we be against the integration of Taiwan because we are supporting since decades the one China policy. I believe this was an ill-advised invitation and it was a mistake 50 years ago not to pursue the double track. Mm -hmm. So this might be a question for historians in one or two decades. However, I believe the strong words of Biden to support the integrity of Taiwan, also with military means, is a clear message to China. Mm -hmm. We should do a double-track approach. We should offer negotiations and really have sober, clear-cut diplom diplomatic approaches to China regarding a lot of questions in the South China Sea and in other straits in the vicinity of Japan, South Korea. But on the other side, we should make clear that a military invasion of Taiwan is the wrong way and will get a military answer. And in between these two tracks is a lot of leeway for to enfold diplomatic flourishing ideas of cooperation. Well, uh, we've we've taken um, a, a trip uh, across Europe um, uh, from uh, Ukraine um, to Paris, Rome, Berlin, uh, the Nordic countries, the Baltics, uh, and we've uh, we've wound up uh, in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, Roderick, I want to thank you for um, giving us uh, your views, the views of the CDU CSU, and uh, and a German perspective on the challenges uh, facing, if you want to call it, the advanced democracies uh, in uh, in a in a changing world. Uh, and uh, it's been terrific having you with us. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Jeff. And there is no alternative for transatlantic friendship and partnership, but this deserves also more investment from the European side. Thank okay. you so much. All right. And we will look forward to having all of you with us again on the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.